This is an ABC podcast. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a grandslide. Hello and welcome to the party room. This is a very special live party room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RM Breakfast, and I'm very excited to join you here at WOMAD on the lands of the Ghana people. And I'm Frank Kelly, and thrilled to be back here on the lands of the Ghana people, thrilled to be back here at WOMAD in Adelaide for this Party Room Live. You know, sometimes I wonder whether some of you here have seen in the program the Party Room and you think you're coming to a really something quite different. (laughs) Well, I can promise you that this Party Room is going to be a lot of fun, but maybe not what you were thinking. Well, maybe it will be a bit different. We don't know because we've just started. Well, that's true. That's true. Later on, we're going to hear from you. So we're going to have some roving microphones. So if you've got some questions, anything you want, PK and I will be happy to take your questions. In fact, we want them. And before then, though, we do have some guests. We've got some local identities. Foreign Minister Penny Wong is joining us here. She always gets such a big crowd here. Uh, She here in Adelaide. Look, I was... I was a little slightly suspicious that people would largely had come for Penny Wong. Maybe. And I thought, is it me or Fran or is it Penny Wong? Anyway, fine, we understand. Local celebrity and also uh, politician of significant clout. Uh, We also have another special guest. Tori Shepherd is joining us from The Guardian, another local identity. Yes, that's the spirit. Now, before we go on, and believe me, we're going to go on, um, it's important to note that the last time we did a party room live here, which we have a couple of times, was the start of 2020. And within, I think, a week or two of returning to Melbourne, where I live, I didn't leave my house again. Um, We went into the lockdown period. So in the last three years since we last were able to come to a live audience like this, so much has changed in politics. In fact, I think everything we said back then, just cancel it. Because the world has changed enormously. And I just want to get a show of hands of who was there. At the start of 2020, I knew there'd be repeat offenders. Good on you. Right? So everything's changed I want you to erase your brain of everything we said, and we're going to start again, post-pandemic reset, Fran, because really, we're standing, but the world's changed a lot. The world has changed a lot, and governments respond. I mean, this government gets elected, and we have a trillion dollars worth of debt because of the spending in COVID. That's something a new government has to deal with. This government came out of the blocks really pretty quick smart. There's a lot going on. They're trying to get a lot of, trying to spend more money, in fact. But, you know, there's good spending and bad spending. That's what any government will tell you. Penny Wong is going to join us a little later. Penny Wong, apart from being foreign minister, is also in charge of managing government business. So it's her job to wrangle an awful lot of senators, and we'll be speaking to her about that in relation to those things. But all that's happening. And then submarines. Put your hand up if you're excited about submarines. Oh. (laughs) Well, bad luck, because we're going to be talking about that. (laughs) I love that for you. And what I love for you is that in this crowd of peace-loving hippies, you have put your hand up and owned that. Um, I think submarines are very important. We're about to spend so much of our money on them, so they're a very important conversation. Actually, so much of your money on them. Now, our first guest has been waiting. She's been partying hard over the last couple of days. She is a WOMAD tragic, an Adelaidean like no other. And I think it's time we bring her in. Let's have the party. That's my party. My people. 
I've suddenly embraced hugging people. It's really weird. Sorry. I did not get the warm welcome, by the way, that no, first time no, around. No, not, yeah. not quite, Most. but pretty good. <laughs> Take a seat. Now, she's, it's going to be like a therapy chair. She's going to lay down. Yeah, lay down. Womad. <laughs> Honestly, stay, stay comfy, babe. Tori Shepard, of course, worked in the press gallery. Uh, people know her in Adelaide. And I think it's fantastic that you're joining us here. And we're talking about Florence and the Machine? Is yes. That the, that's the plan? That's, that's in fact, yeah. I said... saw Florence and the Machine last night. <laughs> How good was that? Also, again, just to compare the welcome you got there for Florence versus the welcome you got for submarines. Yeah. Yeah. No, this lovely woman here really wants to talk about submarines. <laughs> All right. Tori, let's get into it. Okay. Uh, and... Sorry, we're starting on subs, which we know one person is very interested (laughs) in. This is actually a huge moment. This is a deal that predates this government, but this government is now going to execute the deal. This is how it works. It's a bipartisan policy called AUKUS. These are massive. Like, we don't have the crews for them. There's a question over whether we're going to have joint US-Australian crews in them. And almost everyone thinks that the ultimate submarine we'll get will be the UK, like an evolved, astute class. I'm boring myself. So Florence, right? (laughs) (laughs) Tori, Tori, Tori. This woman hasn't stopped concentrating. (laughs) Let's break this down a bit because the Premier of South Australia, Peter Malinowskis, is really muscling up on the subs. The Premier's, you know, really insisting that we make these subs here. Yeah. How big a political issue is that in South Australia? It is huge and it has been a huge political issue for, oh, I'm going to say 20 years, maybe 30 years, uh, but particularly about the industry base. It got hyped up. Remember when we stopped making cars here? Yes. yes. Yeah. Sorry, you, you, you do. I was just talking to the interstaters. Um, that, was, that was seen as such a crippling blow, like it's such a big deal for the manufacturing industry, and there was some rubbish about how we could just transfer Holden workers on, onto the submarines. But it does have a lot of that. We have been promised this. We have been promised these thousands of jobs. It's... There's, a, there's an interesting split where it's like we may not even have enough people to fill those jobs. Well, that was my question. I mean, for a long time, South Australia, I mean, Christopher Pine, really, it was a big part of his re-election policy, mm. you know, defence defense procurement and building here. Um, but what has South Australia done in the meantime to prepare the, the employee... The pipeline? Yeah, I yeah. mean, the training, the skills base. Yeah, so we've done a lot of talking um, and we've certainly done a lot of pitching of this, the broader STEM idea into schools because, you know, it's kids who are going through school now who will end up, you know, looking after, maintaining and working in these submarines. But I, I think what we haven't done is, like, managed to convince a whole lot of people that being on a submarine is a fun time. Yeah. So, so there's two parts of this, right? It's obviously dealing with our capability gap and being prepared for, and we're going to talk about this with the foreign minister, a really changed global environment, the rise of China, um, our own region, the Pacific. So there's that. And then there's the jobs Mm. element, which is huge politically, isn't it? It is. And doing the right thing. $70 billion. But doing the right thing, having the right defence outcome and marrying that with the right jobs outcome isn't always... A neat deal, is it? You know who the most nimble dancer on that was? Was former Defence Minister Christopher Pine. He yeah. was very neat at, at, at sort of dancing around that. But it, it does come down to, if it's about the jobs, which it is in South Australia, you could do a lot with that money that is... It, is, it is eye-watering stuff. And now put your hand up if you're more interested in subs. Yes! Oh, excellent. Oh, we We've got three people on subs. <laughs> you know why? Because you work every day and you pay a lot of tax... 
and that's a lot of money. So it does actually really matter, and we should be discussing it in all of its seriousness. There's another really important question I want to take you to: sovereignty. One of the issues in relation to getting these subs and being in AUKUS is: will we be in full control? Now, of course, these are our allies. But we could be in a scenario where we're not on the same page. We do have our own ideas about. Is that clarified? The prime minister says it is, but some former prime ministers are concerned. Former prime minister Malcolm Turnbull certainly has a whole lot of questions about it. It's not confirmed, and of course we always have to put this in the context of we are more firmly yoking ourselves to the United States, long-standing ally. They elected Donald Trump that one time, remember? And that could happen again.、Mm. So that is a that is a whole. And he could of... get all America first. We shouldn't、yeah. be sharing. This、yeah. is a real concern. I mean,、yeah. you know, if 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 Trump ended up being elected, re-elected, Trump and, might come back. People, you know, he's no fan of the AUKUS agreement. He is no fan of that at all. So this is a real big. Th- Throw the dice here. It is, and there's some really specific ways in which this could get us into a lot of trouble. So, for example, in the South China Sea, they do the freedom of navigation flights, and the U.S. You know, it's kind of poking the panda, right? So, the U.S. You know, they fly close to the winds, they push into the the waters near China, and they've been pressuring us to do some more of our own freedom of navigation flights. So, there's a lot of ways in which they could pressure us to. Start the taunt that could then escalate.、Mm. Um, and I mean, if you read the Fairfax papers this last week, we're going to war by what was it, 2026? Three、uh, years <laughs> within three years. Now, in fact, let's park that. We're going to revisit that topic with、um, Senator and Foreign Minister Penny Wong. I want to take you to another key thing that happened last week, and Fran and I are a big fan of this day. A、oh, full declaration, International Women's Day.、Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, my favourite day of the year. Let me ask this question. I'm just loving audience questions. How many people are interested in International Women's Day here? See, oh well, that kicked submarines into the. Okay,、dirt. so <laughs> see you later, subs.、Yeah. Um, on International Women's Day, the election of the new Labor government saw a record number of women being elected because affirmative action had delivered. And the teals. I mean, if、and、you look at the broader. Well, ta- take yeah, us there. Yeah. Is this parliament fundamentally different? Is it a more feminised parliament? And are things looking different in terms Everything's of outcomes? Everything's fine now. Yeah, <laughs> the, the gaps they're closed. You know. Don't worry about it. It's WOMAD. Everything. No. So obviously not. It does make a difference, and there is a genuine dedicate. Like Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is genuinely dedicated to gender equity. Like he is authentic about that. Where other people might just be paying lip service, but I, I do believe that you know he tells the story about growing up with his mum in a, in a way that you could be cynical about. And I I. Normally cynical. Well, you're a journalist. About, you should be. Yes, but, but the point this, is, I am not. The point is, the Labor only got to this better than equal representation、mm. by implementing quotas, quotas way back, way back in the 90s.、Yeah. The, the coalition, the Liberal Party, still hasn't done it. Do you see any sign that the Liberals are committed to actually making change? They've gone backwards. They've got nine, nine, mem- nine members in the lower house, female members in the lower house. I mean, that is. You know, it's appalling. It's appalling the, statistic. I think there's a target now, like a target. Not, yeah, not but I mean, are you seeing、target. any change、no. in how they're approaching either their policies or their? I think what you are seeing change is that they see it as a political issue, yes, rather than genuinely engaging with how they can make their party a better place. And then you've got to go systemically. All right, you need more women members, and then you need more pre-selections into safe seats. Like there are all these barriers. And they haven't actually done anything to、But、change those. But why aren't、stories. they attracted to it? If it's a party of small business, a lot of women running small businesses,、mm. what's the disconnect? 
Well, we could talk about Me Too. I mean, that's certainly, if you, you know, if you follow politics closely, like I'm sure people here do, a lot of women would think, wow, that Parliament House is not a place I really want to work. It isn't an attractive proposition, the ridiculous hours. And, you know, there was some talk last week about going to a four-day week and there's a lot of things they can do. But I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent with that. All of that is sort of still assuming that, you know, the women need to be looked after because they're having babies. Like, it still has this really sexist assumption at the back of it. It's about parental leave or whatever else. Instead of, like, get the men to do more. I think there have been some shifts, though, in the Liberal Party in terms of policy. There were two key moments that I observed that I think are a big deal. One is that the Liberals have backed in Labor's childcare policy. Mm -hmm. They've also backed the expansion of paid parental leave. And this is Peter Dutton. In fact, in an interview with me, I was surprised that he just went, yep, yep. We're getting some indication on policy, right, that they don't want to have those fights like they used to, that they understand that they need to at least neutralise those issues. Yeah, because Peter Dutton is not a monster. We need to remember that. It's a thing. Are you (laughs) talking about that headline? (laughs) Tell people what the reference is. I feel like that just sits freely now out of its own context, but it was, you know, Peter Dutton has been making a really obvious um, effort to soften his hardline kind of image from immigration minister days, and um, part of that was, yeah, a little puff piece where his wife came out and said he is not a monster, and... You know what? It just worked, didn't it? I don't know if it did. (laughs) It's always that thing where you name something and then you make it a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't talk about it. Um, I had not associated the word monster with him before. Well, no. He's actually quite pragmatic and Mm. I don't know how that side often gets Mm. seen. That's why I mentioned those two policy Mm. shifts, which happened quite quickly and probably unilaterally by him. Mm. Look, I could talk about International Women's Day for hours, but... Tori, I know you've got parties to go to. and Oh, honey, I can't believe I lasted this long. <laughs> Can I just thank you for being our local celebrity with your cool necklace and your cool pants mm-hmm. and everything you provide intellectually. Thank right. you very much. Thanks, Tori. Thank you. She's exiting the stage now. Thanks, Tori. I was, I was thinking about a double hug, but really she's probably still recovering that I hugged her even once. Anyway, um, we've got work to do, PK. No more hugging. Come on. Our next guest. She's always bossing me around. <laughs> Should we bring her in? Yeah, let's bring Who her in. Who is she, though? Could you please welcome Foreign Minister Penny Wong? <laughs> you get the couch. Penny Wong. Penny Wong. You might know her from such things as being the foreign minister, the leader of the government and the Senate, long-time senator, Adelaidean, as I like to say, and general well-known person clearly in this room. Penny, thanks for joining us in the Thank parliament. You. Thank it's you so very good much. to have you here. And we've got another accolade to add to that string of titles there. Penny Wong has been named today, in fact, I think, winner of the 2023 McKinnon Prize Political Leader of the Year. Penny, it's a significant, it's a significant political honour. It's in fact, it's the second time you've won it. You won it from opposition. This time, it's for your work as foreign minister. I think they should have given you the award for frequent flyer of the year because you've been to <laughs> 29 countries since you were elected 10 months ago. Some of them more than once. One of them three times, I think. That's a that's a cracking pace. 
But this political leadership... Tired thinking about it, really. No, I was actually trying to remember which one was the three times. But I, I want to I ask you Fiji, about political probably. leadership and mm. the key to political leadership. What is it, do you think? Is it, is it trust? Is it the capacity to be able to engender trust or, or maintain trust? And how much do you think about this? Can I first add to the list of things that I'm proud of? Oh, you want to add to your own accolades? No. <laughs> it's for this audience. It's like also... I think we've continuously been coming to WOMAD since my 11-year-old was born. Whoa. And, and they were at Florence and Machine and they fronted up this, today, so that's yes, pretty good. that's right. If you saw an 11-year-old sleeping on the no, ground that was, last night... No, that was the younger one. Was, was the 9-year-old? Yeah. No, the 11 was in the... <laughs> was partying um, hard, basically. <laughs> um, leadership. Uh, I think it is, yes, I do think about it a lot because probably I reflect on it more now uh, and I think it's about the head and the heart. So it is about purpose and it's about emotion uh, and it's about trying to bring people with you uh, and it isn't perfect and I think we shouldn't sort of seek perfection from our leaders. I try to reflect about mistakes I make and learn from them. I try to think about, okay, this is the right direction. How do you bring people with you? What do we have to do? So I think the, the simple answer for me is the, probably the head and the heart. So do you feel, as you've um, grown as a politician, mm. that you, in effect, reveal more of yourself in your political leadership? <laughs> um, I mean, and perhaps that was something you had to sort of wrestle with. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't like talking about myself that much. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good on issues. <laughs> No, but it's true. I remember, Penny, and I am going to say it, okay. that you got really... And I think we've touched on it before, but no, right. you were quite emotional this is when... This quite a run-up, isn't it? <laughs> you always feel like, and then she's go. coming oh, in. Oh, she's coming in. It's not Michael you Holding. Can well, you were quite emotional on camera after the same-sex oh, yeah. marriage postal, right? But people were like, oh, Penny Wong was emotional. Because you're often... You're often quite so, stoic. So did you, do, you, do you feel more comfortable being your full self in public? Which of the questions do I Which? answer? <laughs> Let's bring it back to leadership, people. Bring it back to okay. leadership. But bringing your full self to your role, I do think, uh, is a really uh, interesting yeah. I idea. Think, I think, well, a couple of things. Um, I, I, um, first, I can remember one of my daughters saying to me once that I was too squishy to be in Parliament. To which I said, you're probably the only person who thinks that, don't you? <laughs> um, But I think I always try to um, separate too much emotion from yeah. my public role. I obviously couldn't on that day, which was a little stressful. I remember walking back from that room, you know, the room where I couldn't get out of with all the people and all the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... And I thought, I'm going to lose it and I can't leave. So it was stressful. And I rang Sophie and she says, oh... We won. I said, yes, but I've just cried in front of about a million people. <laughs> um, but back to leadership. Uh. <laughs> well, should we see our leaders cry? I don't think it's a ridiculous question, seeing our uh, leaders I don't think being... you should sort of turn it on, no, if you know what I, I mean. Think... But I think if, if it is of the head and the heart, you're gonna, you are going to bring some of that, aren't you, to your work. Mm. And you couldn't do these jobs or you shouldn't do these jobs or your job or your job, or probably most jobs, but certainly jobs which involve change, unless you feel and you believe it. And I think the day you're not able to do that, you probably shouldn't do it anymore. Mm. 
if it's all just transactional. Yeah. Look, we're going to talk about foreign policy in a moment. I'll let the Penny Wong fans clap. Um, talk about foreign policy in a moment. But first, I just want to talk to you about your other role, which is less talked about, which is mm. that you're the leader of the government in the Senate. Mm. And the Senate's a really complex place. Just talk to me about how you manage negotiating on key legislation while also being foreign minister. Like, how do you straddle that? Uh, not particularly well, to be honest. I think it, it does mean that you have to really have a team approach. So I guess there's different ways of being the Senate leader. So Matthias Cormann, who was the previous leader of the government in the Senate, he was very... Everything went through him. I'm not around enough for that to happen. So I tried... We try to have a, a, a more collective approach and um, have ministers engaging with the crossbench and my very dear friend and manager of government business in the Senate, Katie Gallagher. Uh, she does a lot of those sort of day-to-day -day interactions because she's here more often. She's in Canberra more often. Um, but it is. I mean, the Senate's always a lot more work when the Parliament's sitting. It's less high profile and you'd get less television grabs and stuff like that, but it's a lot more engagement because no one party has the majority. So you're always trying to cobble together um, sufficient numbers to get legislation through. Just so. on that, there's something I've always wanted to ask you because you're right, this, this Senate in particular have got a lot of wrangling to do because wrangling, yeah. the coalition are not supporting, the, the opposition is not supporting the government in a lot of major policies. So yeah. you've got the Greens and you've got Jackie Lambie and David pa Pocock and Lydia Thorpe and Pauline Hanson. That's a lot of wrangling to be done. But the big quite, picture... Quite a wide spectrum. Quite the spectrum. <laughs> but... If you've got the opposition and the Greens are the two big blocks, who do you prefer to negotiate with, Simon Birmingham or Sarah Hanson-Young? That's a bit harsh. <laughs> I told it's, you I've always you wanted to what? ask you. The reason she is my party room podcast party <laughs> is she asks a cracking question. So I, I, I think it's not... A, can we set some personalities aside? My, my sort of philosophical view is on major changes that you want bedded in for the country, it would be a better thing for us as a polity if there was more bipartisanship. Yeah. So my view has always been... <laughs> so my view has always been on climate, for example, and you might remember when I was climate minister, I negotiated with Malcolm Turnbull as leader of the opposition. We, would be, we, we, we are better off as a country given the, the nature of the economic reform, and it is an economic reform, for both parties of government to sign up to it. it. You know, I think it is disappointing that despite the results of the last election, where people overwhelmingly voted for a parliament that was actually going to do something on climate, that you've got an opposition that is reflexively doing what they did in 2009 and onwards, uh, which is saying no. So, of course, we have to negotiate with the not just the Greens but the other parts of the crossbench because we've got to get um, more than the Greens' votes to get it through. But... For the country, so it's not no offence to Sarah. It might be here. I hope she's not. But <laughs> no offence to Sarah. No, no, but it isn't because I, I, it's it. I actually think it would be a better thing uh, if the Liberal Party would finally get where Australians are on climate. I think that'd be a good thing for the country. Sorry. Penny, we're going to run out of time very quickly and I think a lot of people here would like to hear you talk about China because, you know, you've set this cracking pace, 29 countries, but wherever you go, 
you're basically talking about thinking about China for a, for a big part of it. Do what have you learned to, about the way China... Should we do a straw poll? Do you think they want to work on? <laughs> what have you, you learned about the way China... but a lot on China. What have you learned about the way China operates in our region and what's your message when talking with other nations about how we're dealing with China strategically? Mm. One of the things that I said in opposition, which I have continue to assert in government was that we wanted to stabilise the relationship with China. And I chose that word deliberately because I think reset implies that we are going to change position on a lot of things, which um, we, we can't and won't. Uh, but stabilise reminds us that actually regardless of what differences we have, we, we, we want to continue to engage uh, and we want to try and manage our differences wisely. Bearing in mind, we are obviously a much smaller player and China is, you know, such a, is a great power in our region and globally. Uh, so the way I, I think about it is, is this. There will always be a, a set of issues where our national interests will differ. So the question is not will we shift on them, but how do we manage those differences? And I think the previous government... You know, was less interested in managing those differences than yelling about them. I don't think that's the best way to deal with difference. Sometimes you have to say, look, we don't agree, or you have to stand up on certain things where, uh, and articulate a position publicly. But what I think we were done a disservice as Australians by the propensity and reflex of the previous government to use foreign policy for domestic political purposes. Mm. Let's go to some reporting which has been considered by some, including former Prime Minister Paul Keating, as inflammatory, but, but it gathered the five expert opinions of really, really strong China watchers. This is the nine papers, and they predicted that potentially we could be at war or drawn into war with China within three years. Now, this is obviously pretty scary stuff, I think, for Australians to see that, but is it a realistic thing that people should be contemplating? I think we do face the most difficult strategic circumstances since the end of World War II, and I, I said that in opposition. But our purpose should be to avert conflict uh, and do what we can as a middle power to avert conflict, whether that is through deterrence, and the submarines are part of that, or diplomacy, uh, which is, you know, I guess my core business as the foreign minister is to continue to work with others and other partners, whether it's the Southeast Asian nations, members of ASEAN or um, India, Japan uh, and others, to work for stability, for peace and prosperity. I think the other thing we can do as well is to continue to encourage, urge the, the great powers to manage their competition wisely. We all know there's competition between the US and China. We all can see that that, that is occurring. One of the things that I have talked about, as have many others, is the importance of having some constraints around the, that competition. So some people use guardrails. I think President Biden talked about a flaw, as in F-L-O-O-R, in the relationship. Uh, but I think having that discussion which says, of course, you know, there is competition, but actually our job is not to talk up the prospect of war. Our job is to try and sensibly and maturely work to avert conflict and to contain conflict. But you I think Australians absolutely would support, right? Mm. I don't think any Australian wants to be drawn into conflict, but 
I suppose the point of that, those pieces, and I'm not defending them, was that we need to be prepared or well, understand that this is an actual risk. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, well, I didn't, I, you're the first person who's asked me to comment on it, and obviously there is a range of assessments that you can look at in the public arena uh, about this prospect. I guess I think my job is less to, A, engage in hypotheticals, B, sort of opine about what may or may not happen. It is, as I said, in Washington, conflict is potentially catastrophic for humanity. Potentially catastrophic. So that there's no guarantee that conflict remains regional. So therefore, our efforts have to be absolutely directed at making sure we maximise what we do for peace. It's, in, it's that kind of message. You talked earlier about bringing your head and your heart mm. to, to the best job you can do. Mm. I mean, I think there is a, a growing anxiety in Absolutely. the community about China, actually. Mm. And I wonder, as Foreign Minister, do you see that as part of your role to try and speak to that? To, and, and how do you think about that? How do you, what do you well, think I is think, your role? And I think that when you've got the previous Defence Minister talking about the drums of war, when you've got, in the election campaign, our deputy leader described as a Manchurian candidate by them. Although I did make the point that basically no one below 40 knows what that means. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a really good point. It's true. (laughs) The, The point is, I think there is anxiety in part because it has been deliberately inculcated. That, that may be true, but, and I, I want to follow up with this, but I'm wondering, what you, do you see that as part of your role as foreign minister to speak to people? Yeah. And, and what is the message that, that you want to deliver? It's the message I really just delivered, which is to, to try and, you know, we, we will we'll be sensible, we will be calm, we will, we will be con- considerate. We will uh, think about what we have to do to keep this country as secure as we are able to as a government. And we're not going to inflame anxieties and run diplomatic relationships, which may be challenging for domestic politics. I mean, that's really... I just want to follow up with this one, PK, because Joe Biden said recently the US, quote, is competing with China to win the 21st century. Yep. Is that how you see it? And what does that look like for Australia if but China think, wins the 21st century? But I, I what does think, that mean? Yeah, I, I think that articulation of President Biden is, is a well-known position in the United States. And it, that isn't just a military or strategic concept. That, that is also an economic concept. And, it's know, a superpower. It's, it's, it, it is, you know, uh, who, who remains the number one economic and strategic power in the world. And that is a bipartisan position in the United States. We're, we're a US ally. But we have a different place in the world and we have a a different role as a middle power uh, about how we engage. And the way I think about it is Australian foreign policy needs to be about the rules, multilateralism, the region uh, and the alliance. And it's integrating those uh, layers of our influence and our connection in the world towards Australia's national interests. Now, here I am. You've all noticed me, my body language. I need to, need to get in and ask you this. The next week... I'm turning so that... Thank you. Did you see I was getting a little... Yeah, I could see you getting edgy. I was getting... I was getting it's massive, slightly awkward here. Massive you know, levels of what I call FOMO. Um, I want to get in here. Let's not honestly... Unless you're upfront about, about it, love. Let's talk about something very important over the coming week, the Prime Minister going to the United States Sups. to announce the AUKUS arrangement. So much has been leaked... 
Before you tell me I can't announce it until the Prime Minister does, we know some key things. We know... This is not going to make any difference to how I answer the question. It might. <laughs> Because yes, hope strings and hope trying strings to entrap eternal. you to admit sneaking that we up know on so much that the public has a right to know. <laughs> and these people, people believe want in to know. the public's sure. right and to know. And they will. Uh, borrow two US Virginia nuclear subs, that's part of the plan. Buy three, then buy the new UK nuclear subs that will be built here. Inscrutable. That wasn't inscrutable. <laughs> that was not inscrutable. That was not my inscrutable face. <laughs> well, get, guess what I'm going to do to you now. Peter Malinowskis, the South Australian Premier, says jobs, jobs, jobs in South Australia was meant to be part of the deal. Are you delaying the delivery of those jobs or will South Australians get the jobs See, they even deserve? they're laughing. <laughs> even they're laughing. <laughs> You've stacked the crowd I with haven't. your mates. It's just Adelaide. Stacked the crowd. <laughs> we all know each I'm other. I'm about to evict them. Um, all jokes. Uh, um, back, back to South Australian jobs. I'm trying to give you intense eye contact. Oh, so sorry, you can sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, this is very funny. <laughs> oh. I would say something about South Australia. I've been a South Australian senator for quite a while. Uh, and I have, alongside... Uh, community, trade unions, Labor Party um, in government and in opposition campaigned for uh, defence, the construction of submarines here in Australia uh, and uh, long-term certainty for our defence procurement here. So you you would anticipate that that is the approach that I and others have taken to these negotiations. Fran? Just a follow-up on the subs. Oh, <laughs> Why would we go for what looks like a very convoluted step through to ending up with a nuclear sub, the pick of the bunch? Well, is this a capability question? It's a, it's a, cap- it's a model and a capability. It's well, a I one-step, think, I think the, the capability, the capability point I'd make is this, and which we have been very clear about publicly, that we, we, we thought in opposition and we've confirmed in government that there was a strong capability aunt, uh, argument for nuclear-propelled submarines. I'd make the point again, um, uh, because people obviously get are very deeply concerned about nuclear weapons. We're talking nuclear propulsion, not nuclear weapons, and Australia will never seek uh, nuclear capability. We have had to deal with something that in opposition became very clear to me. I remember sitting in the Senate estimates and saying, well, there is a capability problem, isn't there? Because this is what happens to the Collins, and this is when you're looking at the delivery of a, of a nuclear uh, submarine. And so how do we deal with this middle bit? And we've had to deal with that. Now... Penny Wong, we've nearly come to the end of our time together, which you're either happy or sad about, but keep it to yourself. (laughs) Now, I do have this question to ask, and it's on domestic issues. Mm. Uh, The big thing this year, outside of the economy, and of course this defence procurement and AUKUS, is going to be the Voice to Parliament referendum. You are in a leadership position in the government that's pushing for this. Doesn't look, at this stage, like you've got the Liberal Party on board. How can you get a yes vote up without that bipartisanship. It's, you... going to, it's going to be tough. How, hard, how tough? It, it's doable, but it's going to take all of us. I mean, I, I, I think it is a great tragedy. It would be a great tragedy if, again, the Liberal Party demonstrated itself not to be the party of mainstream Australia. 
Okay, but that, but they say they say that yeah. you haven't provided you, enough oh, you information know, for them to be able to come on board. What is oh, your response? Oh, come to on. That? I mean, I just anybody looking at this debate would see that they are a party who is unable to deal with their own internals on this because they have a, a few progressives or moderates. Not many left because most of them lost their seat to the Teals, which I think should have told them something. And then a whole bunch of people at the other end who are, are chasing a very different base. And uh, their inability, just as in climate, we've had that hard right position, which I don't think is, is, is uh, reflective of where most Australians are, dominate the Liberal Party's policy position, Same, so, so too so far on The Voice. Uh, and instead of trying to resolve that, they're going for their justification for currently not having a position, which is not enough detail. And I think it is actually intellectually and politically extremely dishonest. Um, they know, they know, first, the genesis of this. They know that how the voice to... that this is about recognition and consultation. They know that they will be part of working through, through legislation, how the voice will operate. So they know all that. But let's leave aside, you know, my frustration and the frustration of many. This is, I think, the most important thing uh, that we can do as a country at this time. It will change who we are, and it should. It will be a hard-fought reform because there are many people who do not want to see it happen. But it is the right thing to do for now and for the de decades to come, and I'd urge everybody to get behind it. Kenny Wong, on that note, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Kenny Wong, everybody, thank you. Thank you, Kenny. You have been such a wonderful audience. We love coming to this festival. Fran and I do quite a few different events throughout the year together. Mainly we like to hang out together, but we do love these wonderful, engaged audiences. Nothing is as good as the WOMAD audience. Don't tell the other festivals. <laughs> oh, no, we're sharing this. Oh, we? yeah, yeah, this is going out, PK. Thanks, WOMAD. Thank you. Thanks, Adelaide. See ya. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.